0: This this commandment that we just sang together that I preach this afternoon as we also summarize and confess what we believe concerning that in Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's on page 555 in the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 39. Here the church confesses, what does God require in the fifth commandment? that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. We'll also read together an article from the Belgic Confession. It's the one dealing with civil government, page five hundred and fifteen. It's Article thirty six. It's specifically about the government, then, uh, as our text is as well. But it's in connection with the fifth commandment. So, uh, Article thirty six of the Belgian Confession, under the title "The Civil Government," you can read that on page or find that on page five hundred and fifteen. And here also the Confession of the Church, we believe that because of the depravity of mankind, our gracious God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and statutes in order that the lawlessness of men be restrained and that everything be conducted among them in good order. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hand of the government to punish wrongdoers and to protect those who do what is good, Romans 13, verse 4. Their task of restraining and sustaining is not limited to the public order, but includes the protection of the church and its ministry in order that the kingdom of Christ may come, the word of the gospel may be preached everywhere, and God may be honored and served by everyone as he requires in his word. Moreover, everyone, no matter of what quality, condition, or rank, ought to be subject to the civil officers, pay taxes, hold them in honor and respect, and obey them in all things which do not disagree with the word of God. We ought to pray for them, that God may direct them in all their ways, and that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. For that reason, we condemn the Anabaptists and other rebellious people, and in general, all those who reject the authorities and civil officers, subvert justice, introduce a communion of goods, and overturn the decency that God has established among men. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so what do you think of the new carbon tax? And how have you expressed your thoughts on this? Or what about the new requirements that the Minister of Education is applying to the education system in Alberta? In recent years, there have been many discussions about politics both in Canada and in the United States. I was chatting with one member of the congregation, an elderly member. And she said, uh, There's a lot of strange things happening nowadays. I think we can agree with that statement. And thankfully, in the midst of a lot of confusion, the Church of Jesus Christ can know and can sing that God is King and Sovereign Ruler. That he is above all the kings of the earth. And that's the starting point of the fifth commandment. Although it only mentions in the actual wording father and mother, because those are the most fundamental and natural uh, authorities in our lives, Christ's sovereign kingship has consequences for our view of every authority in our lives, including the civil authorities, the civil government. That explains why in Matthew 22, when the Lord Jesus teaches the people of God about a godly attitude toward paying taxes to the occupying Roman forces, the fifth commandment is clearly in the background. In this famous conclusion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a conclusion that's been commented on by Christians right from the beginning. You can read, uh, you know, 100 AD, the commentaries uh, talking about the Lord Jesus' words, and you can go through the centuries, all different ages of the church with all different kinds of government, and they all are just as amazed as the first hearers of Jesus' words. These amazing and, and, and infamous Words of our Lord Jesus Christ are a clear proclamation of his victory, his sovereign power over all things. And when we hear his words, it makes it a joy and a comfort to live in obedience to the fifth commandment. He proclaims to us that although we may not like certain economic ideas and we may feel threatened by the increasing number of attempts to curtail our religious freedom, we must never forget that the final victory is already ours. In Christ Jesus, we are already firmly established as children of God in an eternal kingdom. That's the starting point of the fifth commandment, the gospel of this commandment. And this promise is right there in the fifth commandment, which teaches us that when we honor Christ's kingship in all questions of authority and submission here on earth, we will be able to live long in the land that Jesus Christ has obtained for all who believe in him. And I preach to you the gospel under this theme, we honor Christ as king when we give what we owe to government. we'll see not... It's not a a question of God or government, but it is a question of God and government. So we have the text from Matthew 22 uh, in front of us, and it's important to understand the, the background. Several years before what we read here in about 6 AD, when the Lord Jesus was just a young boy the Roman government organized a census in preparation for this new tax, a new tax of one denarius, which is a day's wages per year. And Josephus, who's an early church historian who lived at that time, he describes the riot that this caused among the Jewish people. They, They hated Caesar. They hated his image, on the denarius coin, they were outraged that he would add this tax to the taxes they were already paying for Roman military and infrastructure and other services, which were taxes that they were paying on top of what they were giving to the church. The Pharisees we read about in Matthew 22, who came to trap Jesus were asking about this new tax which was clearly just a, a cash grab, a cash cow, that was trying to make Caesar richer, that would give nothing back to the people. And as they asked the question, all the Jews would agree that, that God was opposed to this wanton abuse of authority. Who does this Caesar think he is? What's the purpose of this tax? What do we get back? It seemed like they would have to choose between God or the government. Now we see from the first verse, that, verse 15, that the was a question was asked in an attempt to trap the Lord Jesus. Probably because, if you see in the verses before, he compared the Pharisees to the group who would not be at the great wedding banquet in heaven. The Pharisees knew that there were serious punishments from Rome for those who didn't pay the tax. But they also knew that the Jewish people would consider anyone who commanded them to pay the tax to be a traitor to God's people and his church. You see, when you look at it, brothers and sisters, you can see that the trap that they set for Jesus was so good that if the Pharisees had been there personally, they themselves would have been entangled in it because they would have to choose to either report Jesus' view concerning the tax or not. And so either they would be judged, they themselves would be judged either as as a traitor to the Jews or a rebel to the Romans. So the Pharisees, afraid to show up themselves, they sent some, some disciples, some students, Students are allowed to ask the question just to learn. So the students could put this forward as a a desire to to learn more. And they also sent some Herodians. The Herodians were actually hated by the Pharisees because they were they, they were Roman sympathizers, and they were only sent so that they could be counted on to report Jesus' view to the Romans. And so there was a trap for the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees would be able to avoid the consequences. And the Lord Jesus was put on the spot. Although it may have been a trap for our Lord Jesus, there's no doubt when we read it, we also look forward to hearing the answer. The answer seems very relevant for us today. How far do we have to go to cooperate with ungodly government? You see, the different worldview of the ruling parties in Canada today, the imposition of these ideas on the inhabitants of our country through enforced laws, taxes, and general policies, can sometimes make our government seem somewhat similar to the occupying Roman forces who ruled over Jesus and his Jewish countrymen. The whole picture in our text represents that that long struggle between rulers who sometimes abuse their power and the common people who resent the injustice and the suffering they have to suffer as a result of the government. Jesus was set up to choose between popular opinion of what God wanted for his people and that awful government that invaded their land. They asked Jesus, who do you support, God or government? Well, When Jesus hears the question, he begins by making it very clear for the Jews and the Herodians what they are asking about. We read in our text, he asks them to show him a coin. Do you know why? Why did he ask them to show him a coin? Because when a coin is in use in a place, this re- represents an established government. If the coin was already in use, that means that the, the, the power, the, the government in power, was strong enough and clearly recognized enough to be able to establish and control the economy. By asking to see a coin, the Lord Jesus was simply asking, has the Roman government established itself in this country as the ruling authority? Regardless of how they got there, whether it was through the process of legitimate democratic election or because a dictator just came right in and captured and occupied your land, the question the Lord Jesus started with is, is it clear to see that they are the ruling authority in your land at this time? And as we reflect on Jesus' question we can recognize that he is making an important distinction between a situation where there is an established government and an adopted law, and in another situation where there's an open-ended situation, where there is a request or opportunity for input like we might see today in our democratic country, or in a time of war when two governments are still fighting for control. In our text, the Lord Jesus is giving instruction concerning how to deal with a law that has already been made by a government that has gained control of a land and is recognized as the authority responsible for the economy and the administration. And so, when the Pharisees produced a coin from the government, they made it clear that they knew that the government was legitimate. By bringing the coin forward, they admitted that the question about whether or not to pay the tax from a strictly political viewpoint was not really a question. The Romans already had the sword. The Romans already controlled the economy. So it served no purpose to question whether or not to pay the tribute tax. That makes us ask, so why was the question about the tax even such a controversial issue? Why was it a question? It wasn't because there was any question about the fact of Roman authority. It also couldn't be because... The image of a foreign king was too offensive for a Jew because they had it in their pocket. So why was there a question? They questioned the tax because although they hated where the coin came from and although they hated what it stood for, yet they loved what it could do for them. They hated the tax because of their love of money and comforts that it afforded them. And Jesus then showed them that the real debate, the real question was not between God in heaven and government on earth, but it was between the false God, mammon, money, and government. As soon as they produced one of the coins that Caesar asked for or, or even demanded, they revealed that it was not so much a question of obedience to God in heaven that concerned them, but it was with their own wealth and their own comfort. The real question in this case was whether or not they should give more honor and more money, or give more honor to, them, to their money than to the Romans. What other reason? Would anyone give for refusing to give Caesar what is his? And brothers and sisters, this makes us think a lot of our view of government, our view of the principles of government. And rather than just point our fingers at the Jews, it is good to allow Jesus' words to also enter our own hearts and and cut into our own souls as well. And ask the question: How much of our political debate is driven by money, driven by our love of comforts? What is the grid that you use to evaluate a political party? The Lord Jesus showed his Jewish questioners that it was hard for them to obey the Roman government because of their own pride and their own desire to keep what they earned in order to get richer? Do we do the same when we show hatred and contempt for socialists, for example, or the federal liberals, or the provincial NDP, purely for financial reasons? Have we fallen into the trap of lobbying for our money in opposition to government and using God's name to defend our paychecks. The Lord Jesus called the Jews hypocrites, not only because they were being insincere when they questioned him, but also because they actually cared more about their own wallets than they did about honoring the fifth commandment. The answer that Jesus gives calls God's church to first make sure that we understand who God is before we make rash decisions concerning our relationship to government. First, check your own heart. Check your own motives. And when we return to Scripture, we will see that instead of opposing human governments, God himself uses them. Then we see, brothers and sisters, the best way out of a dilemma is to rise above it, as our Lord Jesus Christ did, and find truth in the way that God reveals in his word. And, God's, or, and Jesus' answer does this in a most beautiful way. As we see in the second point, he tells us it's God and government. After the hypocrites who came to him to put him to the test had brought forward a denarius, that's that Roman coin, and they showed it to him. When the Lord Jesus received it and he looked at it, he saw an image of the emperor Tiberius, sort of like the image of the queen's head that we might see on our coins here in Canada. And underneath the the image on the other side were the words, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. The coin obviously belonged to the Roman government, obviously to them and more specifically to Caesar. It was a coin that was in Palestine because the emperor who had gained control of that area had allowed it to be used in his kingdom so that buying and selling would be easier for his subjects. And having shown that they knew very well that the Roman government was a legitimate authority and that the only reason they were asking the question was because they didn't want to have less money, Jesus simply looks at them and says those famous words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render or pay back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The Jews could understand that Caesar was their established king, the king in control over them at that time. They only had the money because he gave it to them. And so, says Jesus, if he wants it back, well, give it to him. The fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has giving you. Honor those whom God has placed over authority, in authority over you. So as the Lord Jesus explains the complicated situation in a very simple way, we can see that he spoke with authority and he spoke with a calm trust in the Lord Almighty. He knew who was the true king. That statement, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, tells God's people to trust that their father in heaven knows what he is doing that he has a plan, that he is the ultimate, the highest authority. And the Lord Jesus talks in a way that springs from the confident words of Isaiah. And I'd like you to open your Bible to Isaiah 26. We'll read together verses 12 to 15. Isaiah 26 starts off speaking of the perfect peace that God gives to those whose Minds are on him. That's in verse 3 and verse 4. And then it's followed in, in Isaiah 26, verses 12 to 15. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. But your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. With this underlying Assumption of God's control, eternal control. And other kings come and, and go, but God remains the same. The Lord Jesus shows the people that Caesar is just a man trying to get what he wants in his short time here on earth, but he would have no authority if God had not given it to him. He would have no authority if our Father in heaven had not given it to him. We, we saw that on the, on the screen in Romans 13 as we, we walked in today, that, that verse, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And we see, brothers and sisters, if, someone, if God puts someone over us that we don't agree with, that person still remains just a servant of the eternal King, Jesus Christ. He is just a mere instrument in the hand of God for God's plans. God himself was behind Caesar. God himself was behind any and every ruler that has ever been or or will be. And that's why the Lord Jesus isn't afraid to tell the people give to Caesar, what is he? Caesar? Give the money to Caesar. God is sovereign. Christ is the eternal king. And his servants fill human positions of authority. And so it's possible to submit ourselves to rulers on earth without compromising our faithfulness to God. In fact, as we confess, in most cases, submission to the rulers is connected to obedience to God. We honor Christ the King when we give what we owe to government. That's what the Lord Jesus says. They ought to render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That word render, that word pay back, it reminds us what the Holy Spirit says in Romans 13 verse 7. I'll read it. Pay to all what is owed to them Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honour to whom honour is owed. So what do we owe? What do we owe to those whom God has placed over us? What do we owe to the legitimate members of parliament in the ruling and in the opposition parties of the federal government? What do we owe to the elected leaders in our province, including Premier Notley and the other government workers? What do we owe to the public officers who enforce the laws of our land and sometimes even give us fines when we disobey? We confess that No matter what the situation, no matter what they are doing, we can never forget that they are just people and that God is behind them in his sovereign power and wisdom and choice. For this reason, confident Christians who truly trust in God's wisdom and God's sovereign power, who truly understand the depth of the fifth commandment, will have no difficulty showing honor, love, and faithfulness. That's what we confess. Beautiful words of the Heidelberg Catechism. Honor, love, and faithfulness. Not necessarily because we agree with everything they say, or because we feel any bond of friendship, but simply because Christ the King is ruling over us through them at this time. And we could see our Savior's hand in our position, in their their position. And and when we see our Savior, we, we are lifted up to rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so whether the system of government at the time, and, and remember that, that the church has dealt with these words of our Lord Jesus and, in all different situations through the centuries, sometimes being persecuted, sometimes in being in control, being the government, sometimes in times of slavery, sometimes in times of dem- democracy, we can never, we always seek to serve and submit ourselves to the government with due obedience. We recognize their role in the big picture. Due obedience, that means the obedience that we owe them. The only time we do not need to submit, and we confess that also in the Belgian Confession, is when they require an obedience that is not due them. Because it goes beyond their mandate. Or because it interferes with the command of their divine superior. In our text, the Lord Jesus reminds us that taxes belong to due obedience. And we could see that material wealth should not be a condition for submission. But the Holy Spirit does tell us that we don't have to submit And obey when the government demands disobedience to God's commandments to do all things for his glory. Then we'll say with the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. That's the, you find that in Acts 5 verse 29. And then the Lord Jesus said, render to God the things that are God's. And we can see the big picture. He was talking to Jews who really wanted to hold on to their money analyzing the government depending on what it meant for them and he said give your heart to God what do we owe God what is it that belongs to God it is our entire life we have to let go of our love of money because it can confuse our obedience to the fifth commandment render to God what is God's. the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6 and I think a a bunch of the, the students at PICS in one of the grades has memorized this in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Give to God what belongs to God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And when you think of the fifth commandment, brothers and sisters, we need to think of the great and eternal King, Jesus Christ. We need to see him sitting on his throne over all things like we confess in the Apostles' Creed. We can see him moving the, the hearts of the kings like a water stream that he directs any way he wants like we read in the Proverbs. We have to know that he has all the kingdoms of the world under his feet and he controls them for the good of the church like we read in Ephesians. And then we give to God what is God. We invest all our time and our money. And yes, even our whole life. For many have had to pay with their lives to follow God Almighty. You will give what you owe to government without fear, without concern for the future. The fifth commandment tells God's people to remember, not to panic. But to go along with the political Existing political situation insofar as it doesn't show hatred or disobedience to God's word. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, even if you don't agree with his fiscal theories, his moral views, or even if it costs you a comfortable life, because we confess it is God's will to govern you by their hand. We honor Christ, the eternal king, when we give what we owe to government. You can be sure that the true, eternal King Jesus Christ, who is before all governments and who sees each government come and go, you can be sure that he will give you what you need to worship him fully. The promise of the fifth commandment is that everyone who honors the Lord Jesus as the highest king will be blessed. We pray that everyone in authority will honor him by emulating his gracious rule on earth. And we also pray that everyone under authority will understand that it is his hand that has placed the rulers where they are. What a blessing, what a comfort, what a joy it is to know that our Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign king over all the earth. Amen.